Welcome to episode 30 of Health Unchained. A few quick announcements for all you listeners. It's almost been a year since I started this podcast, and I've definitely learned a lot about the barriers to blockchain adoption. I also discussed the sensitive issues affecting healthcare professionals. We also exposed major patient dissatisfiers in the current state of the healthcare system. So I appreciate all of you for listening and trying to learn with me as we meet these individuals who are shaping this new industry. To show your support, subscribe, rate my podcast in iTunes, and follow me on Twitter. Join the conversation on Telegram, where the community talks about current events and issues related to the episodes. Many guests are actually active participants in the Health Unchained Telegram group, and all the links are in the show notes. Finally, if you are still new to the intersection of healthcare and blockchain, you should check out the online Udemy course meant to teach non-technical people about blockchain's implications on healthcare. The simple course includes sections on cryptography, consensus mechanisms, smart contracts, and how they apply to the healthcare industry. The course is available on your smartphones and you'll get a certificate when you finish. You can get 75% off if you use promo code DOGUM2019. You can also find the link in the show notes or search for blockchain and healthcare on udemy.com. It should be the first result you see created by Jacob Dreyer from Simply Vital Health. You can find all the links directly in the show notes of the app or website you are currently on. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research before making any important decisions related to these matters. And today's episode is with Dr. Steve Chung, CEO of Healthurium, not to be confused with Healthurium, which actually looks like an exit scam led by a Sultan Al-Ababi, who's actually the only person on the team when I visited their website. Other sources show four others on the team, but no Sultan. So I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, you know, which I could be, <laughs> I'd love to have the Sultan be a guest on the show. Okay, no more sidetracking. Dr. Chung is a busy urologic surgeon, but also has lots of hobbies and interests, including cryptocurrency mining. Healthurium already has a beta app and started piloting in his clinic. I do encourage Healthurium to get a bit of a stronger social media presence and community as they kind of went under the radar for me. They are crowdfunding now with a target of about $1 million, uh, and it is a security token offering, which ends June 25th. And now let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. Today's guest is the CEO of Healthurium, a blockchain-based company that has created dApps or decentralized applications to solve four specific communication problems between patient, provider, and insurance companies. Dr. Steve Chung, urologic surgeon, 
in Chicago and has been involved in multiple startup ventures. He is co-owner of his urologic practice for over 13 years and has served an administrative role at seven hospitals. Dr. Chung, thank you for connecting, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you today. Well, hi, Ray. It's great to be here. Uh, you have a great podcast, and then I looked over your other companies, and it's just a great group of people to uh, be included with, so uh, I'm excited. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, maybe we can kind of just start with your background and like tell us you know, how you got to this point. Sure. So I began my practice um, many years ago. Uh, I trained at the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Then I did a fellowship at uh, Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. And then somehow I ended up here in the Midwest. Um, maybe I got sick of great weather in L.A. I don't know. But um, it's been a wonderful uh, 14 years now, uh, currently at the 14th year. Um, so the, the practice is very busy. A lot of patients uh, go to many hospitals. It seems like every hospital needs a, a urologic surgeon. So I definitely am very busy on that end. I got into blockchain. Well, I, actually, I knew about Bitcoin many, many, many years ago. Uh, but at that time, you know, I didn't really understand what mining meant. But I revisited that uh, several years ago. And, you know, I actually decided to build my own rig, I guess, to, to mine, uh, ether. I thought it was just a great hobby to do. And I've never built a, you know, a mining rig, which includes motherboards and, uh, RAM cards and GPUs. But anyway, I just plowed through it and started mining. And then, you know, I began to delve deeper into what Ethereum and smart contracts actually do. And I realized that this could somehow possibly help um, me in some of the problems that I face in terms of the delivery of care and patient engagement or lack of patient engagement. There are many software products out there, but it appears that having the best patient engagement platform is something um, people still uh, strive to create and implement. So that's um, kind of that's kind of how the idea started. And through social media and the community of blockchain, I was able to connect with uh, my co-founder, who actually worked at SAP for over 20 years in product wow. development. <clears throat> he also has a huge interest in blockchain, and we actually met at a, a type of uh, blockchain community. So that's 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 how it all started about 18 months ago. That's when Healthereum um, began. So it's a relatively um, you know, new project as are most blockchain startups. Um, so what is your, you know, I've read through you know, your executive summary, your pitch deck, as well as your, your white paper, but in your words, what is your vision for Healthereum? So Healthereum is essentially a patient engagement platform, but with one twist. And I think this is the secret sauce that other patient engagement platforms have lacked. And that is actually rewarding patients who complete tasks. Because as a physician, I give patients 
tasks or homework in the sense, I need you to take this medication. I need you to follow up on your scheduled visit. I need you to um, inform me of any changes in your medical condition. And then not just for urologic conditions, but there are other medical conditions, such as if, if they're newly diagnosed with diabetes or if they have a, 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 they're on a new medication for hypertension that may affect one of the medicines that I prescribe for the urologic condition. So there is an engagement. And yes, there is the delayed gratification for patients, which is good health or longevity. But, you know, we are, we are a society of also immediate rewards. You know, I, I did this and I want a reward for that. Instant gratification. Uh, That's how we live our lives. Absolutely. Exactly. And, you know, healthcare really doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. it, it really, really doesn't have that. Um, and so what our platform does is it introduces that using blockchain. It, it helps the patients get rewarded for doing what I asked them to do. And some people may say, wow, showing up to an appointment, that sounds like something that people should do anyways. And people probably, probably do. Well, I will say to them, when you're, when you're in the trenches with me in the office or other doctors, uh, the no-show rate is, is something that is co constantly happens on, on a daily basis. Um, you know, if I have a clinic with 80 patients scheduled, I, me and my staff, we do our darnest to make sure they are reminded of their appointment. So for instance, I have, um, an employee, her only job is to remind patients of their appointments. Hmm. She's a great employee. She works very diligently, very hard. And even with that, there's still about a 10% no show rate. And when, when I say no show, I'm not talking about people who call and cancel the reschedule. I'm talking about those who ghost their appointment, completely ghost their appointment. And so people might say, okay, well, just call them and reschedule them. <laughs> I wish it was that simple. But um, there are many studies that have been done, and essentially one no-show in terms of resource and cost is about $119. So that's $119 that I have to spend to get the patient back. That doesn't even include the reimbursements um, uh, that, that was missed, but that's not even important. Um, so, and I've experienced some of the downstream effects of no-shows. For instance, there was a, a patient who with a kidney stone and treated the stone and we would follow them, make sure they don't create a new stone. We change their diet. We add medications. And eventually the patient stops coming to their appointment. So on this one particular example, I think the patient had an appointment, let's say a month ago, uh, didn't show up. But then a week later, the patient was in the emergency room. Hmm. And guess why? It was a kidney stone. Hmm. That had, that had migrated. Now, a lot of people have kidney stones that are in the kidney that doesn't cause pain and they're just there. 
this particular stone had migrated, got stuck in the ureter, causing a blockage of the kidney, significant pain, nausea, vomiting. So in the emergency room, they order a CAT scan. That's a lot of money. Then they admit the patient into the hospital. That costs money. Then the after-hours surgical team and myself go and treat the stone. That costs a lot of money. And the patient eventually goes home. I believe that if the patient had followed up, and meaning did not miss their appointment, we could have discussed stone, the stone and possibly scheduled an outpatient procedure that, had, that would have had to, um, that would have um, eliminated the ordering of a CAT scan, admission to a hospital, and using after-hour services. So there's a lot of cost, downstream costs, when a no-show occurs. Now, this may be an extreme example, but it's reality. So that's mm -hmm. what I face, and, and a lot of physicians in their own respective fields face to you know, at varying degrees. So no-shows are, are a big thing. So yes, something simple as showing up, you're going to be rewarded for doing that. But we've gamified it. Right. So that if the patient doesn't show, there's a penalty. And I guess in, a little bit later we can talk about the token sure. economics of all this. Yeah, and that part will definitely be uh, really interesting, I think, tokenomics of the whole how this space is evolving is just so interesting to me. Um, just a quick background question. I'm curious. You said you have a person or an employee who that's like their primary job is to make sure people show up to their appointments. How big is your practice or clinic? Just trying to get a, scale, a sense of scale. How many employees do you have? <laughs> so so I have, I'm in a practice with uh, another physician, urologist, and then uh, he has a physician's assistant. So we call him extenders, uh, provider extenders. So there's three providers, and in our practice, we probably have over 20 employees okay. in a three provider. So so that's that's a lot of staff. Yeah. <laughs> and and a, a lot of them deal with the insurance aspect, medical billing, um, uh, refiling, denied claims. Um, there's Then there are people who um, interact with the patients when they're not in the office. And then when we do have the clinic, there are techs who uh, facilitate that. And then, yes, I have an employee that all she does is call patients and say, you have an appointment in two days at this time, at this location, just calling to remind you. That's her only job. But it may sound trivial, but it's a very, very important job and role that she has. And another question about, um, I guess, the setting or environment where your clinic is. Is it more urban uh, patients? Uh, is it rural? How, what kind of, are you in the city? Right. So I generally tell people I'm in the greater Chicago area. And greater, mm -hmm. I mean, I get Chicago news on my TV, but I'm over 90 miles away from downtown Chicago. So it's rural, mm -hmm. and I cover seven rural hospitals. And each of these hospitals have about 75 to 100 beds. So it's a small hospital. Uh, we don't have all the services that a big um, city hospital would have. But, um, you know, we have what we need. And we, you talk about frontline. We are on the frontline of healthcare mm -hmm. and uh, treating patients and um, 
we 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 hustle. We have to work. I work six days a week. Wow. So meaning I have clinic six days a week, and then I have surgeries peppered throughout the days uh, during those clinic days as well. So I'm I'm pretty busy. I'm surprised you got into the mining uh, field with all that other work that you're doing. Um, well, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Well, I mean, I, I definitely have other interests, so sure. I guess that's why. No, that's great. One thing I want to tell the audience and make sure they kind of understand the importance of the no-show problem, missed appointments cost the healthcare system $150 billion each year, at least to, according to some studies. Um, and also, that this was in your white paper too. So it's not like chump change. It's real money that can be, that is lost, that we could you know prevent uh, from being lost. But there, that's just one of the problems you're currently solving. There are three other kind of more distinct problems or yeah, that you are also trying to work with and find solutions for. You want to talk a little bit yeah. about those three? Absolutely. So basically, our patient engagement platform includes every aspect of a patient experience. So showing up to the appointment is one. That's part of, again, the patient experience. And after the visit is completed or finished, the patient then usually gets a questionnaire. In U.S. healthcare, uh, quality surveys are a big deal. They're mandatory. They're reported to Medicare and other insurance, uh, other governing uh, insurance bodies. Uh, it's it's actually used to um, determine reimbursements. So. It's a patient-centric quality survey, which supposedly um, indicates the quality of care. Now, I kind of have my opinions, and I'm sure a lot of doctors and hospitals do, but anyway, that's the world we live in. So quality surveys. The, the problem with quality surveys is the response rate is not very high. I'm sure you've gone to uh, Subway, Right, and, and you get, hey, do the survey. You may get ten percent off or a free cookie. By and large, you know, a lot of people just don't complete surveys. Right. Um, <clears throat> maybe it's cumbersome. They're too busy. Uh, they forget, but whatnot. So these surveys that patients receive are not being completed. So, who are completing them? Well. Usually, it's the very unhappy patients or the very happy patients. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have the extremes, uh, not so much the middle. Now, I think that actually creates some sort of skewed data. Now, quote, experts in the care quality survey arena will say, no, it's, it's representative of the entire population. And that's fine. But... Um, you know, I know that the, the more data you have, the more true results you have. And so when you have, currently, when you have a response rate of 30, 40% to surveys, that's, that's a very low end number. That's, that's not a very high number. So what Healtharium has done is after the appointment, they get an immediate survey delivered to their phone their mobile device where their Healtharium Life Portfolio or the patient interface application is downloaded. They do the survey and they get rewarded for the time doing the survey. They say, hey, thanks. I mean, you are participating in our healthcare. You're giving your input. 
But what's great about our survey is the questions can be changed dynamically by the doctor. Um, if he wants to know how the front office staff is doing or if he wants to know particular questions about his new office, there are questions that he can create on his own, even on the fly. Furthermore, this, this survey, or I guess it's better called questionnaire, can be changed so that a patient can complete these questionnaires even before they ever show up in the form of an intake form. I'm sure, I don't know if you've gone to the hospital or clinic, right, but the first thing they give you is a clipboard or maybe an iPad, and they want your name and number and medical history. You know, it's called an intake form. It's laborious. Patients complain all the time because every time they see a new doctor, they had to input the, the same data. Um, so now they can do it on their mobile device. And guess what? You get rewarded for doing that. Say, hey, thanks. You could put their medications, insurance information, their emergency contact information, all of that. What's also great about our surveys, for the first time, we can actually have a real physician or provider report card. What currently exists, if you want to, let's say you're going to see a new doctor and you want to see if this, if he or she is a good doctor, what do you do? You go online. You go I through Google a search thing. Right. You Google it. And then you find things like WebMD, HealthGrade, Vitals, who knows what, um, where people like rate their doctor, rate the doctor or the experience. Well, Doctors finally have wised up to it, and now a lot of doctors are actually encouraging patients to go and put the ratings in. But before, the, the there are not many people putting in reviews. But more importantly, there's no way to confirm that that was a real patient. Hmm. All you need is a confirmation of an email, and then you can write whatever you want on hmm. that review. What we have, though, is every visit, every engagement, encounter with the with your doctor, you can rate the doctor. And then we have that data that maybe at some point we, you know, we will determine what we're going to actually do with it. But we have the capability now of actually, I guess, attaining that type of data. So the, the survey or the questionnaire is the second component of a patient experience. The third component, guess what happens after you see a doctor? Everybody wants to get paid, right? So an insurance claim. Well, what happens currently? Well, if you see a doctor, you, he provides services for you. What he'll do is he'll, he'll file a claim to your insurance company, and then you will get what we call an EOB or explanation of benefits. And you'll see what he diagnosed you with, what level of care, and what he's billing for. And then you just kind of sit back and see what happens. Uh, then later you'll get a bill saying you are responsible for this amount. And then you'll say, wait a minute, why? And that's when the questions start coming up. What, how did this end up? How did this happen? Um, well, the, the reason is because the patient was never really involved in the insurance claim before it was filed to the insurance company. So what we're going to create, because we have not created that at the moment, what we're going to create is, because we have captured every encounter between a patient and doctor, we're actually able to share with the patient on their mobile device what their diagnosis is, what they will be billed for, 
and if they agree. It's like a confirm or dispute. If they hit confirm, we call it a double verified claim, goes to the insurance company. Now, yeah, this may seem a little far-fetched now, but, you know, 20 years ago, the cell phone was far-fetched, okay, mm -hmm. the smartphone. So things can change. So, so, but what also happens is now when the patient confirms these things, certain things happen on the back end uh, on their health theory and life portfolio, which leads me to the fourth aspect of our patient experience and our application, which is communicating with the patient in between visits. So, Ray, you've seen a doctor. She says, Ray, you're doing okay, but I want to see you in a month to kind of assess your progress. And you say, okay. What happens during that month? Nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Nothing. But you know what? If you stayed at a hotel and you checked out, probably already got three emails saying come back or we have a blank of this or that. They're engaging. The hotel's engaging with you. The doctor... Well, they just assume, we just assume if the patient's not calling us, they, miss, they must be doing okay, which is not always the best way of going about things. So we have what we call the patient messaging. It's, but we also have to make it easy for the doctor. We don't want him or his staff to use time and resources to engage with every patient in between the visits then they would have no time for the patients who are in the office. So we've created a, it's an alpha stage, whereby you can actually send messages to their patients, to their Helio app, but only for the diagnosis that the patient has. Hmm. And but yes, we can send a generic message to everyone, like, you know, happy 4th of July, something like that, or due to inclement weather, the office is closed tomorrow. Yes, that's easy. That, that we can do now. But we're talking, hey, I want to send all my kidney stone patients a message to, to remind them to drink water. And I want to automate it so I technically don't have to do it myself. So it's set up so that every patient, kidney stone, here's the message. I determine the frequency of delivery. And then, eventually, I'll be able to see how many of them are actually engaging with that message. And they hit got it or okay. So it's a two-way interaction now. Now, some people may say, well, can I email the doctor or can I, can I text him? At, at this present moment, no. The answer is no. This is basically the doctor reaching out to you and saying, for let's say a, pay, a doctor... Uh, wants to reach out to all of his patients with uh, uh, a diagnosis of depression, so a mental, you know, uh, diagnosis of depression, and he could send a message to only them, and it's one click, and it's actually automated, so it constantly engages them. And then let's say another doctor only wants to send messages to people who are obese, to remind them to go out and exercise or eat right or whatnot. That doesn't exist in the way that I've explained it. That's pretty interesting. I think that you know when you're talking about this, I'm imagining possible ways where different providers can have different messaging strategies, so that you know 
they can either set a reminder on a weekly basis for the patient to drink water or monthly or daily and then using you know a huge set of data understand which strategies work the best in terms of outcomes and then other providers can adopt certain strategies that another provider has made public so hey look at my messaging strategy and you can share it with the community and have some sort of you know way to track and measure that i think that's pretty interesting um and that is that's yeah. good insight right absolutely um i mean you, let's use that data to help each other for the ultimate good of our patients absolutely exactly and i think you've mentioned a few times here that the patient will be rewarded for interacting within these transactions and um showing up to the appointments or filling out the surveys on time and you know interacting with messages but when you say they're going to get rewarded what does that really mean i mean like in general what does that mean for people how are they rewarded? So, so exactly so um in the airline industry we call it earning miles and then you can exchange those miles for um, a free trip or something um, your hotel has reward points for a free stay. Credit cards have a lot of, you know, reward points. So what we are doing is utilizing blockchain. We have our utility token. It's a digitized token reward. So and and we can give these reward tokens at micro level task completions. So like showing up, interacting with a message, confirming an insurance or disputing an insurance. Just Patients who are getting involved. So these tokens. So for so, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. So this is kind of how it works. So let's say I am a provider, a doctor who wants to use the platform. So Healthitarium will determine how busy my practice is. You know, just the ballpark, and they will allot me an X amount of utility tokens. Let's call those tokens health. H e a l t h health. So then. <clears throat> Every appointment is a smart contract. I have already put my tokens into these appointments in the escrow account. When the appointments are made, the patient sees on their phone an appointment has been made with Dr. Chung, and there's a button. Do you promise to show? That's what we call it, a promise to show button. If the patient says, yeah, I'm going to promise to show, and they hit that button, they're essentially putting their tokens into that escrow account. So that's what I mean by it's gamify. So now the the end result won't be determined until they either show up or no show. If they show up, they get my reward tokens. If they no show, I get the patients. Hmm. Now, the patients then do the survey. They get reward tokens. And they interact with messages, reward tokens, and so forth. Eventually, I'm going to... My supply is a finite supply. My supply is going to... As a provider. Run out. As a provider, my supply is going to run out. I cannot go somewhere and buy more. Well, is it going to be, is the health token going to be available on public exchanges? Absolutely not. Okay. That is not, absolutely not. They will not be on any public exchange. So me as a provider, I'm seeing that, number one, wow, patients are showing up. They're interacting. They're, they're doing what I want them to do. It's, it's actually working. My supply is running low. I need more tokens. I get it from the patients. So you're saying, 
what what are you what are you going to give them? Oh, how's that going to happen? I will determine in my practice with my patient population. I will determine the value of that utility token. So let's say for me, if someone shows up, I can say, okay, for twenty tokens, you may get a reward card. I'm not a reward card, a、uh, gift card, maybe、mm-hmm. to Target. Maybe they get.、Um, oh, so the、anything. provider will gift, or the provider will buy back tokens from the patients via some sort of gift or、um, something of value, like a gift card. Something、like、of value. And so I've talked to several hospitals, and some hospitals have said, "Oh my God, you know, these are big hospitals in the city. Parking is so difficult. We could actually see us giving a free parking pass." Another hospital said. Oh, you know what? They can use the tokens at our gift shop、hmm. and buy things for patients using the token.、Um, so the important thing is the doctor, the provider, the hospital must determine what that value is. Because if that value is not high enough, well, guess what's going to happen? No one's the patients aren't going to care about accruing tokens.、Right. But if the value is too high, well, you know, if you overshoot. Then you know there are other unintended consequences. You can have a patient、uh, making appointments every week, you know, <laughs> trying to show up and keep collecting. Yeah, right. You don't, and we don't want that. Right. And so I, I think the important thing is a practice needs to determine what their cost savings are by using our platform, and then translating that cost savings as the reward portion. So if they're saving, I'm just using. Whatever numbers, but if they're saving a thousand dollars a week because people are showing up and doing what they need to do, they can translate that thousand dollars and use that amount, that amount, in terms of a reward, not in terms of cash, but something that represents that cost savings that they had. So if they're, you're not, you're not,、uh, you're not. Bribing them,、mm-hmm. right? So you、um, are actually using an an economic formula. So, so because it it, it it's a dynamic to, formula too. It's not something that's currently static. You're trying to figure out that sweet spot still, right? Correct. Oh, ab- absolutely.、Um, now, some people may say, "Well, Doctor Chung, you know, you are in- inducing your, you know, your that's bribing." So the OIG,、uh, which is the Office of the Inspector General, we thoroughly read their、uh, their report on inducements. So what we have found, and our attorneys, what do you, what do you mean by inducements? Bribing, like、okay. you can't bribe a patient to come to your to come to see you. So what we have found is that's actually for. And I could be wrong, but again, this is from legal and the team. Is it applies to new patients? So if I'm at you know on the street, open up a practice, and then there's another clinic, a competitor down the street, I can't. And I'm trying to get new patients. I can't bribe them to come and see me. I can't bribe them, and especially using their insurance. You know, I can't say,、um, you know, I. So that's that's inducement. What we are doing is these are for established patients. These are patients who are already 
are seeing me. And, um, and then, because we, we in healthcare, you know, a lot of physicians, and especially dentists, there was a, a dentist uh, friend who, for all of his established patients, um, you know what he gives? He, he, uh, they gave wood nickels. And hmm. so these, these kids, because a lot of them are kids, right? They get these wood nickels, and after they accumulate a certain amount of wood nickels, they exchange them for iTunes gift cards. So these kids can download uh, the news game on iTunes. So, uh, you know, I'm not, we, Healthium is not creating a whole new novel idea. No, it exists. We just made it so it's streamlined, it's it's HIPAA compliant, it's um, use it, utilizing blockchain, and creating a platform so that, you know, not just showing up, but any activity. Um you know, we have been approached by other uh, companies or startups who have other niche products in their field of healthcare who could see a reward mechanism. And they're, you know, we're discussing the possibilities of them being on the platform. So if you can think of a, a healthcare action that can be rewarded, you come to us. That's what, that's what we're driving. <laughs> let's, let's give them the, immediate gratitude. Let's give these patients now a form of immediate gratification. And you do that, it they also get that delayed gratification in terms right. of good health later. Yeah, and I really like the fact that um, you're, you're focusing on these specific problems. And although although they are specific, they are they are all each very complex in themselves. So, you know, just recapping the four problems, the no-show problem, um, getting people to fill out surveys as the second one and the third, uh, being the you know delayed claims payments with insurance companies, and then finally the pa- patient messaging between provider and patients, those four problems. Is there one of those problems that you're tackling, you're making a, more, a priority or more important, or how are you ranking right. them in terms of sure. internal focus? So, Ray, we currently, the appointment, uh, rewarding appointments, that's all completed. Uh, we have our patient interface called the Healtharium Life Portfolio or Helio that is downloadable at the Google Play Store and the iTunes Apple Store. It is beta, but sure. it is downloadable. Uh, we have the doctor or provider interface called the Helio Syndicate, and that's it's a web application, and that's where the uh, doctors, the staff, actually uh, log in, and that's where they can create appointments. They could do data analytics in there. They can see how many no-shows and reschedules and cancels they see or that, that occur. Um, so, so that's completed. We also have our survey uh, survey application completed. So um, the, the doctor can go and change the questions. Uh, patients receive the surveys after the visit. They get rewarded for completing the survey. So that is completed. All, obviously, you know, there's work is never truly completed. It's always ongoing. But those two are completed, and our patient messaging um, is in alpha. It can be done um, for, for right now. For instance, if you have the Helio app, and I can actually uh, send you a message. Um, so that's it, yes? Yeah, I have it up and, right now, actually. And it's oh. pretty cool. I like the design, how you have the navigation all hexagon buttons. Um, it's pretty it's unique. Yeah, 
we have a great UI UX um, employee. He's, he's, he's fantastic. You know, his whole life's been dedicated to user experience and interaction. Um, and so the patient messaging is an alpha. It won't take long for it to get to where we want it. And then lastly, the insurance, you know, that's part of the insurance application is also implemented into the messaging. So I guess the insurance thing will be started very soon and integrated with the messaging. Um, but so we anticipate everything being done by the end of this year, end of this year. In beta? Uh, or you say like in first release? Uh, why? We're full productive, productive okay. use. Our goal is to have everything done by 2020. But what's amazing is this. We're not just stopping at what we're doing right now. We're actually adding a lot of features as we're going. So here's, here's another feature that's going to come out in about two weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, when a patient shows up to their visit, that's when they get a survey, right, right? I mean, that's when they get a questionnaire, right? Well, you know what we're going to start doing is when a patient doesn't show up, they're going to get a questionnaire. And it's going to ask them why they didn't show up. I think that is a key element in healthcare right now is we're, we want patients' input after care is delivered, but there's very little in terms of why they didn't show up in the first place. And it could be for so many reasons that are out of a patient's control that maybe a hospital or a doctor's office could address. And so we want to know, we want to acquire that data. Why is the no-show occurring? By giving the patient a questionnaire. And and you know what? They complete it, they get a reward for that too. Because we want to believe that everybody does care about their own health. You know, so with that assumption, yeah, we will give a reward for those who don't show up because something must have happened, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we, we want to know why. You know, could it be lack of transportation? Um, could it be that an emergency occurred? Could be could the weather. Be, you know. Could it be the weather? Could it have been? Absolutely. And so because we're quick to judge patients who don't show up. Oh, they're a bad patient. Mm-hmm. They're not accountable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I mean, it's very easy to fall in that trap. But if we take a step back and really look at why they're not showing up, it, it truly could be something that uh, was completely out of their control. And they're good patients. They really are. They just, let's, let's, what if they ran out of uh, um, minutes on their data plan on their phone mm-hmm. and they couldn't get the reminder? And they lost their appointment card because let's say the appointment was made six months ago. So they just have no way. Now, yeah, true. You know, if we send them, a, you know, they no show, we send them a survey, they, they won't get it. But as soon as they get a new phone or a data plan and they log back in, they'll get that survey. So they can then enter it then. So that would be good to know. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. In April 2019, Microsoft announced that it will be shutting down its HealthVault patient record service on November 20th, 2019. Microsoft started HealthVault in 2009 
after two years in beta mode, giving people free access to a personal health record storage platform. So if you have data on Microsoft's Health Vault, you have until November 20th to transfer your information out. They suggest transferring data to Get Real Health or Follow My Health platforms. Although they are shutting down the service, Microsoft still has its sights on healthcare and has even participated with Walgreens to improve health outcomes and lower overall costs. In my opinion, personal health records aren't really valuable if you don't actually own all your personal data. Although health records don't seem to be the lowest hanging fruit in the healthcare blockchain market right now, I do think the creation of good, secure, and self-owned health records will become an incredibly valuable way of encouraging people to actually own their own health. You can find a link to this article in the show notes. And now back to the show with Dr. Steve Chung from Healthereum. So I got a question. Have you thought about, you know, I'm not sure what is involved with some of these appointments that you have for follow-ups, but is telehealth an option? You know, having the patient see you virtually instead of having to travel and sit in a waiting room and then see a provider? They can yes, do it right. online. <laughs> okay. You're like reading my mind. And well, I work at like- a company that focuses on <laughs> telehealth and that's the kind of software we build at American Well. So I'm just kind of curious to see how you've thought about that. Yes, absolutely. Um, so telehealth is kind of the buzz right now and uh, Medicare is finally, um, and insurance uh, bodies are finally going to start reimbursing doctors um, who are who are using telehealth. And, and actually, telehealth has actually been around for quite some time. Uh, but the adoption of telehealth, you know, wasn't that great. And I don't know the reasons why. Um, maybe it's better now. But I do know, just speaking with patients, pa- when, when patients have a problem um, and it's not emergent, <laughs> they want to have a face-to-face. They want a physical exam. They want... They they want that interaction. Again, this is for a new new diagnosis, new problem. They okay. they want that. Um, the the doctor will then give his assessment and give the treatment plan. Patients then will go home, and they will then one or two things. They'll say, "Okay, I'm happy with the treatment plan, and I'm going to move forward," or They'll say, you know what, I'm, I, I want a second opinion, man. You know what, I'm going to ask my buddy down the street what he thinks. I'm going to ask my mom. I'm going to ask my coworker. All of a sudden, everybody immediately around him becomes a quote provider, and they give their give their anecdotal experience. So, so these second opinions, I think, are where patients are open to a telehealth type of interaction. And that's my opinion. So that is what Healthereum will do. Hmm. When Healthereum has its network of doctors, as many doctors as possible that come on, then if they want a second opinion, that they could then interact with that doctor. Because it's a second opinion, the labs and tests have already been done. That can be shared. So you really truly have a second opinion without, you know, 
with without actually you know being physically examined or vital signs taken because again patients at this point are okay with that they don't they don't need the they don't have the need to be examined again um, they just want a second opinion they even so far as remember ask their best friend down the street they just want input so I I think that that's where Healtherium will create their create our presence is in that second opinion. Um, I think we as a company and me as a provider still want patients go see your doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, have him lay his hands on your back or your stomach or whatever. Have him interact with you, engage with you. That's very, very, very important. Now. Ray, maybe 20 years from now, we look back on this podcast and say, well, what were those two guys talking about? You know, <laughs> it's just possible. But, you know, human interaction, I don't think will ever go away. Yeah, I don't, I'm not suggesting it will go away entirely, but I think that telehealth does present some good opportunities for complementing um, the, you know, medical services that you provide, for, especially with follow-ups, you know, just asking the patient how he's doing or how she's doing and how medications are being uh, managed and if they're working or not and things like that, things that you can kind of discuss over a video chat. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, what do you think are the biggest barriers to Helio adoption, you know, this portfolio? And then what are the biggest barriers to adoption for blockchain in general, do you think, in the healthcare field? So... Um, me and my co-founder, we had the opportunity to actually meet uh, 12 hospitals, healthcare systems um, at their C-level, um, so decision makers. And um, we're actually able to show our product and demonstrate our product. And what we found is, number one, it validated what we were doing. They were very, very excited. Hmm. But it also showed us that they have zero knowledge of blockchain. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, when you use our application, you don't know that there's blockchain going on in the background, behind the scenes, but it is all blockchain in the background. Uh, hospitals and providers, they have no idea. So we've made it so that it doesn't matter if you know or you don't. Just the user experience, it, the application reacts the way they expect it to, and that uh, the doctors use the application uh, on their side, just like any other patient uh, um, uh, management platform. So they don't have to learn anything. So I think that there will always be a lack of understanding of blockchain and healthcare. But I also think that technology will make products so that they don't have to understand it. The patient's actually don't have to understand it either. All they will see are reward tokens. Um, the only thing they may need to know how to do is, and it's again, it's gonna be made very simple, is sending tokens to an address. So we made it so it's very easy to do. Um, so- The other uh, thing that you know they're gonna have to learn is creating a private, private keys, like getting their, you know, secret passphrases and those secret words, writing them down, keeping them safe. I think that's a huge hurdle for a lot of yes. new people coming into the blockchain space is just how do you manage your private keys. Um, and that's a, just a bit of education. It's kind of like how do you open a browser and 
find a website. You know, when internet first came out, sending an email wasn't as easy, or at least people didn't understand the concept until they did it many, many times. And now it's become second nature. Anyone can send anybody an email, and it's just part of their process. No, that's absolutely. And actually, we created a video um, showing patients when they create a portfolio what they need to do. And you're right. It's basically, you know, we don't store uh, emails. We don't store um, passwords. Uh, we don't store those things. There is no forget password button. Uh, basically, when they come in and they create a portfolio, there are going to be these 12 seed words that they must uh, write down and, and keep somewhere safe. If they ever lose their phone and have to create a new phone, all they need to do is download the app and re-enter those 12 uh, seed words, uh, which is kind of how you know um, uh, crypto wallets are made. And what, what's nice is a lot of the new phones coming out actually have wa crypto wallets. Um, so people are getting educated, but yes, the 65-year-old may not quite uh, understand, but we've made a, a very nice tutorial for them to look at and see, and uh, hopefully they never lose their phone, um, and they'll never forget their four-digit PIN or their fingerprint scan, um, so they never have to use it again. But yes, you're absolutely right. So let's get a little bit deeper into the technology stack. So the health token is an ERC-20 token, correct? Uh, yes. And it is a permissioned space, right? Providers need to be permissioned by your team in order to be part of the this decentralized autonomous organization, the Healthereum DAO? Yes. So <clears throat> we have a, a proof of authority permission-based chain. Um, we have uh, the... So we have the trusted provider node and we have the Healthereum boot node. Uh, all our applications are in what we call the health must sphere. Um, <laughs> the like way, that. the reason, <laughs> yeah, the reason we designed it that way is so it's health must sphere, meaning that's where all our applications are. If it ever wants to migrate to another chain, it's very easy to do that. And so, um, so basically, the Healthereum boot node um, will interact and make sure that the uh, trusted provider nodes, and those are hospitals. Helio users, um, organizations like my, my practice um, are all syncing and doing what we need to do. Uh, we currently have now on our on our servers, so there are uh, nodes there, which um, those are the blockchain nodes. And so we have several blockchain nodes uh, behind the scenes. And, and later, we may even create something called the uh, Healthereum Administrative Node. So, uh, so for instance, when a survey is completed, uh, Healthereum is giving them the reward for doing the survey. It's, it's actually not the doctor. So the Healthereum Administrative Node can be involved in those type of uh, actions. Uh, also, when, uh, you know, when patients complete uh, intake forms and they get a reward, Healthereum is giving them the reward for that. It's not the doctor. Um, basically, uh, the doctor's reward is truly from just the appointments and so and the patient messaging. And then the other source for the uh, reward tokens is from Healthereum 
from the company itself. So, so it is a proof of authority permission blockchain, and that provides um, um, privacy, that provides uh, security, that provides reliability, and in when you're dealing with healthcare, you know, those are always things that you have to keep in the front. So. Uh, yeah, when you say you have servers and nodes, does that mean like you know your company owns all these servers, or do you have you know individuals or teams or organizations also that are running nodes, you know, so, on their own? Like, are you distributing yes. these networks, or is yes. it just yeah? Yeah. So, um, so you know, we want to give, uh, for instance, let's say uh, an entity like a hospital, we want to give them a choice. Do you want your own server and your own node, or do you want us to just do it for you? And when you have a hospital who may not know much about blockchain and nodes and so forth, they may say, no, you guys just handle it. Or if they're a bit savvy and, and there's a no, we will be a node. We want to be a node. Then we can do that too. It's very scalable to whatever they desire. Um, what are and the incentives so, of being a node? Like, why would a hospital decide? Is there any benefits to being a node? I'm sure there's some. I, I think that they can uh, have... Um, so, now, I'm not the techie guy. My mm -hmm. co-founder is. But if appointments, for instance, let's say even old appointments, if they want to hold on to those old appointments, um, they may be able to do so. Um you know, the way for us is once an appointment is done, it's done. There's no going back and pulling up your old appointments. Um, Wait, hold, hold on. Sorry, I want to get this because I feel like it's important for providers to be able to go back and see their calendars and know when they had appointments. Right, you're right. So what I told the team is I want to go back at least one year. Okay. So they're going to make it so that they it, it holds it for one year. My understanding is that any kind of clinical visit would require you guys or the provider to hold onto that health data or health information for, for seven years, right? Yes. So that will actually live in the um, EMR system that the hospitals use. Okay. So we're essentially creating the almost like the back end added added back end to their EMR. Mm -hmm. So eventually what will happen is a receptionist will create an appointment on their existing EMR. Um, and then when the patient shows up, she will confirm it and it'll happen on their EMR system. Mm -hmm. And in their EMR system is all of those. Now for okay. us, mm -hmm. we don't have to hold on to all of that per se like survey already, information that's not yeah i see yeah yeah so and so that's what i mean we did create the um helio syndicate for the doctors to go and log in and create appointments the only reason we did that is so that it's usable at this time eventually though we will connect to emr systems so you won't have that helio syndicate really Right now we have it, it's kind of like we're going to open the hood and we're going to use it. Eventually, though, hood's going to be closed 
and the existing EMR is going to, it's going to be integrated with that. So for the receptionist, they won't even know per se that these appointments are being, you know, that there are these tokens moving around. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just going to act like they normally do because that's what's very important is we have to, we can't give them more work. Yeah. We have to make this as seamless and as easy as possible. Almost like if a new plane has been made, the best thing for an airline company is the pilots don't have to retrain, right? And so, so that's that because when you have to retrain or go back into a simulator, you're wasting time. Definitely. So for us, we want to make it the same way. So there's really no training that has to be done, and and we will do that with connecting with fire servers and so forth and APKs and APIs. Interesting. Um- very cool. So you are you do have a plan with integrating with multiple types of EMRs, like I'm thinking Cerner, Epic, um, you know, all scripts. Epic. Are, are, is there a plan in place, and when do you project the integration? Is this an open source thing, or is this an active project that you guys are pushing forward? So this this is a, an active project. So in uh, connecting with EMRs, we can start that at any time, but we are right now at the stage of. Um, uh, getting our pilot or early adopters first, mm-hmm. uh, getting their input. We want their input about the product. How can it be made, you know, better, mm-hmm. or the interaction better? Uh, we want patient input. You know, we want to we want to build this thinking of the users first, and then creating everything else. The integration, other than it being maybe a little time consuming, it's not very difficult. It's not difficult to do. Um, for instance, in, with Epic, you know, Epic, I think they're backlogged now, but there's a lot of things that they are, um, you know, add-ons that are occurring. Um, someone told me there's like an 18-month backlog of stuff, but oh. uh, but uh, but we, we want to do it maybe in a different way. We don't necessarily want these things living inside the EMR. Hmm. We want it in the back end. Um, so the user doesn't experience anything different because really it's the patient end that's important. It's the helio end where they get in their appointment, promise to show, get in the survey, messaging system is happening. From the doctor side, all we want appointments made and let's move on. We don't, you know, we don't want to have to learn a, a whole new thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We don't want to have to double type, double entry, and we're used to this system right now. I want to just keep the system. So that's what we have in mind for our providers. Interesting. Um, I know you're not the tech guy, but I'm just a little bit curious. I think our audience also is about, um, you know, how storage is handled, how the data is actually stored. And also, you know, you've mentioned there's an app and, and a web application. Uh, just interested in how or what you used, what tools your developers used to create those. Um, apps and how storage is handled too. Sure. So, so you know, there are distributed storage servers like Swarm or IPFS, but we don't want to use that. We want to store in our own, on our Healthium administrative node. Okay. So, um, right now, things like survey, right now, presently, things like surveys are cloud-based storage. It's cloud-based. Um, but eventually, we want it uh, stored on the chain, uh, per se. But we need it so that it can be analyzed with, you know, um, 
data analytics or data uh, with Hadoop or some type of um, uh, platform or service. Um, because, you know, raw data is great, but it's what you do with it that's important. So we need a way to be able to access the data and, and then uh, come up with uh, meaningful uh, results. Um, so, no, we're not thinking of using uh, a, a distributed, the existing distributive. We want to be extremely HIPAA compliant, very private, and so um, uh, we're going to be probably just holding on to our own um, data. Now, as this matures and as uh, distributed storage or uh, um, technology improves, then we can always migrate. And so I, I, I hate to say we're only going to do it one way. Um, you know, <clears throat> I thought that I would always use an iPhone until I realized the phone viewing screen is too small for me. And that's when I went to the Galaxy Note. So, you know, I never wanted to say always. Um, but we have all of these things in mind. And I know that I wish my um, chief technology officer could elaborate further, but he would give a he would give an exceptionally thorough description of uh, what we're building and what we're going in the direction. And maybe, um, Ray, maybe you can do another podcast with just him, maybe like an abbreviated one, you know? Yeah, no, I'd be open to something like that for sure. And, um, you know, I know that you have a YouTube channel as well, and that'd be a good opportunity to kind of answer some of those questions for the community. Right, absolutely. Um, do you think that, your company, Healthereum, is dependent on Ethereum's success by any way, any chance? Because you said you can migrate to different systems, but does so, that with the blockchain? Well, I'll just say that, you know, you know, EOS and there's another startup called Solana. And, I mean, there are all these great chains out there. Um, you know, does it, does it matter if Ethereum survives or not? You know, I don't think so. But um, you know you need a good starting point, and I hope Ethereum continues to do well. Uh, I think it is a great, you know, I think what Vitalik has created is something amazing, mm -hmm. and so um, I don't wish ill will on any company or any person. And so I would like to say right now uh, we expect to stay with yeah Ethereum. So can you share some of your company partners and major users? So. We we're we're a very we're kind of a, a unique company. I think we've accomplished a lot, and all just in the garage. Okay. Uh, we don't have any major partners. We never seek any partners. Actually, hmm. um, we don't. We are just now in the process of. I'm getting uh, my patients to download the app. You know, our our Helio just came out about two and a half weeks ago uh, to the beta stores. So I'm getting them to download the uh, the application. I even wrote up a summary on uh, instead of typing this whole UR code URL, they, there's a QR code that they can just scan, and then they have to go and and I, I guess for Apple you need to download Test Flight first, and right. so some people get kind of confused with that. So there's definitely been some education. I'm educating my staff, so we're getting patients to download, um, and. We have those hospitals and institutions who are waiting for a product to be completed. And so very soon it's time to reconnect with them because I think we're at that 
getting to that point. Um, obviously, uh, fundraising is always an important issue. It's like the 800-pound gorilla in the room. And uh, the more funds, the quicker we can achieve our objective. But uh, we, be we believe that acquiring customers is probably more important for early adopters. That's more important than even raising funds. Because if you have customers and they give good input and your customer base grows and grows, then you'll start generating revenue. And we've calculated, because there is a revenue stream to all of this as well. So we've calculated that at this time, we need 200 doctors to, 200 doctors to break even hmm. per month. That's all we need. So what's that revenue stream like when you say for the company? Uh, so, yeah, so um, right now we're not making any revenue. Mm -hmm. But uh, once we, and then for the early adopters, we want to give them a six-month kind of uh, free, you know, no obligation, free support, because we really want their feedback in sure. our product. Um, so, but then if everything's a go, green light, and we start generating revenue, basically it's on a, per click per use uh so for instance an appointment is a there's a every appointment that's made a fee for every survey that's sent and that's fee. charged to for the every, provider invoice to the provider yes yes every in us dollars yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah yeah yes <laughs> yeah because well Yes, because they don't. They don't know. They never, you know, no, don't know you. crypto. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, they don't know crypto. Um, and so every patient messaging, so it's a per click, and then it adds up pretty fast. <laughs> and that and using kind of the number of patients that I see in a month, and what my anticipated messaging would be, it's like a real real life um, example. We calculated that 200 doctors, onboarding 200 physicians, will make us break even. Hmm. And that's like one hospital. Yeah, I mean, it sounds reasonable to me. I guess. I mean, it's really hard to to know exactly uh, because I don't know your budgeting and your costs. But um, sure. And maybe, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about your your team and how big the team is currently? And you know, are they all full time, part time advisors? How is that all? How's your company structured? Sure. So we are an LLC, um, and the team has seven people. We've been together for over a year, some longer than that. So there's my co-founder Prasad Kotapali. Again, he's been at SAP. He's full time Healthereum. He's our chief technology. Um, you know, uh, he works tirelessly on our product development and he has a lot. Actually, he was, um, in his earlier software years, he was at Silicon Valley mm -hmm. and he saw the internet boom and the internet craze. And he saw his friends go through a lot of the ups and downs. And, um, he actually, uh, told me 18 months ago, what's going to happen with crypto hmm. and with products and ICOs. And it was, uh, it was like, uh, it was a fortune teller. It, it was spot on. Everything, he's like, just watch. You watch. You watch with these. This is what's going to happen. Now, it may not require someone with an Einstein IQ, 
But, you know, at the time, you know, we're all just in this buzz of ICOs and just raising money with the white paper. And, you know, this is crazy. This is going to be on. This is a gravy train forever, right? So he, was, he, he never got on that because <laughs> he saw it on, during the Internet boom in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, mm-hmm. so he's, he's – but, but anyway, he's uh, had a lot of experience in Silicon Valley, SAP. He developed software products for Fortune 500 companies. So he's a full-time uh, health area. Um, Chase Rippinger, he's our full stack lead developer. He's full time, um, fantastic. He has a significant knowledge of blockchain, a significant knowledge of uh, just software development, uh, knowledge of uh, state channels, and state channels is what allows us to have instant. Um, so, for instance, if 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 you create an appointment and we change it, it's instant. It'll show up instantly on your phone. Hmm. Um, so he's full time. Our UI UX um, Lee Holmes, he's full time. He's been full time with us for uh, coming up to a year. Um, he his whole life's been dedicated to um, the experience for the user, and it was his idea coming up with some of these um, things you see in our um, device. And and actually, again, in about two weeks, we have another build coming out, and you're going to see more changes. And it's just, it's going to be even better. Excellent. Um, so, <laughs> and then we have uh, RJ or Richard Catalano. He's um, a blockchain architect. He's uh, part time, uh, but and he's been with us. Gosh, I think he was like the third person that joined. He's been with us for almost 18 months. So his he, you know, I. I guess there's a fine line between a full and a part, right? Yeah. Like people think I do this full time because I, but then I have a full time job, right? So I have two full times. Um, I guess that's kind of like him. Uh, and then Michael Franks, he's a, a urologist. He's a physician. He's kind of helped us with product strategy and so forth. He's out in the East Coast. I actually went to uh, University of Pittsburgh. We we're both residents together. So he and I shared the, the toughest part of our uh professional career um, <laughs> together and uh, Frank Hone he's our marketing strategy um, with an MBA and uh, he's part-time he is currently full-time at all scripts so which is an EMR platform or a, a patient patient uh, management platform so so those are our immediate US based um, seven team members now we have uh, six full-time coders um, oh, wow. off-site, off-site, they've been with us for over a year. Um, they work tirelessly. And so, so you know, we have to juggle our – so, you know, at, at 12 a.m. here, we're all – the developers are all working together. And I yeah. guess that's the world we live in. So, yes, we have full-time, six full – It's quite um, a team you got, actually. It's, it's bigger than a – it's a big team. Um for blockchain startup in healthcare, <laughs> so nice. Um, yeah, and 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 the developers, uh, they're through uh, a, a company called Evoke Technologies, which is a very large uh, software company, and they they really are interested in what we're doing, and so um, that's how we're able to get this full time developers. So, um, is there a like a community also around Healthier right now? Like, how are people? Asking questions or where do they communicate? What platform? So, 
people can put their input on the app stores, uh, giving the developer feedback, they can do that. Um, we have uh, LinkedIn, our Healtharium LinkedIn. We have our Healtharium Telegram. We have uh, we uh, see what's crazy is none of us on the team and developers we're not really big social media guys. Hmm. Um, like I, I'll be honest with you, people may laugh. I had zero zero social media accounts until I formed Healtharium. I didn't have hmm. a Facebook. I didn't have a LinkedIn. I didn't have anything. I wanted to stay under the radar, but because of this product. You know, I'm learning like, wow, social media is very important. And so we're just getting our Facebook page going, our Instagram going. Um, it's kind of amazing people, how people immediately judge a company based on, you know, how big their Facebook followership or their Twitter account is. And that's not necessarily always the, you know, right. the best measure for good quality. Yeah, I I hope you're 100% right cuz um, you know, we just started our Twitter. We have 5 followers. But we I'll have sure an amazing product. <laughs> we have an amazing product. Um so and, and I think that's the its priority is product customer, product customer. And our customers are hospitals and doctors. Um the doctors will then give uh, will evangelize the product to their patients. Because obviously, if their patients don't have the product, there's no interaction. So that's the sequence or the pathway is we target the hospital's doctors, let them right. target their patients. I wanted to kind of get into the ICO or the STO. I think you guys are holding the fundraising on Start Engine. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So um, we decided to pick Start Engine because. Um, they had some experience with security token offerings. Um, I actually did some homework, contacted other companies who use Start Engine. They had good experience, and it probably took about six to eight months um, becoming compliant, doing all the things we need to do to do our security token offering. And what I really want to stress to people is one security token, which is different from the utility token that. Patients get rewarded. They're two separate tokens. The security token is a digital asset. It represents one unit of our company. You're actually a security token is actually ownership of our company with the rights and privileges that come with that. For instance, rights to distributions of profits. So the security token is also nice because eventually we hope it'll be on a security token exchange whereby if they wish they can exit or enter so there's liquidity um, with the start engine and becoming uh, a reg CF and SEC compliant fundraising campaign using a security token so the security token is an asset it's it's it's, in, it's registered um, that people will understand essentially they're just buying a share of a, of a company um, with the added ability of possibly exiting after a 12-month lock. That's not our decision. That's just the rule. Hmm. So after you're locked for 12 months, then you can um, liquidate on an exchange. So, so Or you can hold on to it and you get, you know, like a... Mail, uh, check in the mailbox, the uh, mailbox money. 
uh, in terms of if Ethereum continues to grow and does well with and generates profit. What is that in terms um, of like dividends in a way, sort of? How, yeah. What do you mean? So we call it we call it distributions. Uh, so for an LLC, they're they're called distributions. They're they're same as dividends. I think for a C corporation, they're called dividends, and for an LLC, they're called distributions. Um, but we actually file taxes as a C corp, hmm. so people aren't expected to get a K one in their mailbox. Hmm. Um, so so we're, we're, we file taxes as a C corp. But we're registered as an LLC, and you know, accountant, lawyer, every. That's why you know. That's why it takes so long. So all the I's and T's are appropriately marked, and and it's fully compliant and transparent. So, um, so if people want to come, it's uh, at startengine.com forward slash healththerium, and they can invest. And minimum investment is a hundred dollars. It's for U.S. and foreign investors. For accredited and non-accredited, so you know if you if you believe in what we're doing and you got a hundred dollars laying around, you know, there's a way to spend it possibly if you wish. Um, so and oh, and what's great is the platform also accepts Ether and Bitcoin, so mm -hmm. it's it's not just U.S. dollars, and you can use a credit card, wire transfer, Ether or Bitcoin. Um, and I think that's cool, you know, crowdfunding that an SEC compliant crowdfunding accepting ether. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've come a long way. <laughs> when does the fundraising end? So the fund, uh, so the fundraising ends. Uh, let me see here in about sixty six days. Um, the a crowdfunding can actually. Um, you can raise up to uh, 12 months, hmm. um, but as of right now, it, we're doing it for uh, 66 days left. And um, you know what we're what we are focusing. So there's two parallel tracks. One is our product. The other one is um, acquiring early adopters. So we're both doing those both in parallel. Mm -hmm. We have been picked up by some very well-known healthcare media. Um, these were unsolicited. These uh, basically Decker's Hospital Review, hmm. which is a very well-known healthcare media outlet. And we've also been picked up by MGMA, which is the Medical Group Management Association. That, that's a very uh, well-known entity. Every hospital and doctor's office uh, uses data provided by MGMA. Um, so MGMA picked us up. We've also picked up by uh, Moby Health, which is also a nice uh, healthcare media outlet, and a couple others. Um, and then there's the blockchain ones that um, I'm sure people know, such as Merkle and CoinSpeaker, Cointelegraph, uh, Hacker Noon. And, and, oh, just recently we were televised live on Fox Business Network. We... Um, we made this about six months ago, and it became nationally televised, uh, featuring Healthirium. And it was really nice because I was able to have um, my staff, my actual staff, in the five-minute yeah. uh, advertisement. So yeah, I'm know. sure your staff's like really getting involved with the 
feedback of Heltherium and like, hey, we want this, we want this to be better. I'm sure they're like their first adopters, right? Yes, they clinic. gave me a lot of input. Um, sure. You know, I remember going to them about our logo. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how they've been involved since the day of inception of our logo, even. So they 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 really they think it's cool. They they really like it and um, they promote it and so forth. Hey, Steve, last question I have for you, and then you can, you know, um, add anything else you'd like to, but what would you consider to be the most important medical discovery in the last, you know, 100 years? Oh, my God. So, best medical discovery. Does it have to be medical? Can it be something else? It could be something (laughs) else. I mean, if it's interesting, sure. (laughs) Why not? Okay, how about this? How about... um, I share with you um, a person that intrigues me the most. Sure. How about that? Sure. And, and the reason, and it's not, he's not a doctor or a healthcare provider. Okay. So this is amazing. Um, you know the game of blackjack, right? Blackjack? So blackjack, you know, 21 blackjack. Oh, yeah, yeah, blackjack. Sure, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. So, and, and you know, um, we're counting cards. You know, you heard about people who count cards yeah. or... Use the odds in their favor, right? Yeah. So there's a guy named, way back, there's a guy named Edward Thorpe. Uh-huh. He's the one that wrote the scientific paper on counting cards. And in on the scientific paper, the title of the paper was something like How to Win in Blackjack. By da, 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 da. Yeah. And he had it peer reviewed, and uh, one of the peer reviewers said, Hey, can you not use the word blackjack and just put uh, in the card game 21? And he's like, Sure. But that paper eventually led him to write the book Beat the Dealer. And the Beat the Dealer is about card counting and blackjack. And remember, before this, it never happened, no one knew about it. But he used mathematical formula, and then the counting cards became big. So you think, wow, that's cool, Steve. But it doesn't stop there. See, he was a mathematician. He also found, because one of my hobbies is stock trading. You know the options, stock options, Mm -hmm. the calls and the puts. Way back, they never... Right now, if you look at, a, let's say, a Google call in year 2022, there's a value that you need to pay to buy it. So, But way back, options did not really have the correct value unless until it got close to the day of expiration of the option. So what Ed Thorpe would do is he would take advantage of that discrepancy he would arbitrage the price and make money well he was the, i believe was the one of the first ones to using mathematical formula to actually create a price for an option that's way away from their expiration date so he actually affected the financial markets heavily this the things and, and it was all just from math and he affected a casino game and he affected wall street 
And that to me is what's amazing is you don't have to be an investment banker to create the best blank or you don't have to be a casino person. You know, sometimes something like blockchain can affect healthcare. And knowing blockchain and what it can do can affect healthcare. And the knowledge of blockchain can affect healthcare. And I think I think that's why I have an affinity for people like him who go out of the box and apply what he already knows to other things. And I think that's where our team is. You know, other than me and Mike, um, the guy I went to residency with, Mike Franks, we're the only doctors. We kind of guide them with what we need in terms of solutions to our problems. They're the guys that are actually creating it. And that's what's amazing. And so I would say, and, and Ed Thorpe, he published the book beat the dealer that's the only book i actually i was so close to buying the very first edition first print of any book hmm. i'm not a book connoisseur but I, that's how much i respected him and was amazing what he did but the book was ten thousand dollars i couldn't pull the trigger the book was ten thousand dollars <laughs> well i think it's more now i should i should have probably bought it oh, just recently the first edition it. i guess oh, first wow, book, that's crazy it's ten thousand dollars and i couldn't pull the trigger so i didn't do it but he um, and and it's, and things like uh, behavioral economics and social engineering, those are all things that really amaze me. Um, you know, behavioral economics was started by two psychologists. They weren't started by economists. Again, outside the box. You know, something something you learn from here, you apply it to there, and and you change the entire field. Mm-hmm. That's what amazes me. And I, I hope that Healthirium is a technology, but we hope it can really change healthcare. And that's that's what I really want to do. Dr. So Steve Chung, thank you so much for your time. You're a man of many skills and talents <laughs> and interests. Uh, this was a very interesting conversation. Any last final words to, for our audience here? Uh, no, um, I just want to thank everyone who's been listening. Um, if 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 uh, I don't think I offended anyone, I hope I made everyone smile, made everyone kind of relate to what we do at a at a very uh, layperson's level in terms of you know not being a patient or a doctor. And if, if you know, please visit us. You come to our website. You can leave a message on our website, healththerium.com. And um, if you believe in what we're doing and you'd like to make a support, we're welcome to that. And we're the, the, the team, myself, and I, you know, I'm sure that Ray would attest to. You know, we're we're real people. We're good people. We really want to solve some real tough problems in healthcare. And I want to appreciate you, Ray, for uh, your platform and what you've done for people in blockchain. Introduce them to healthcare issues. Um, I've listened to several other of your podcasts. They're very nicely done, very informative, and I'm very honored to be a part of that. Thank you. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.